We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Titus. Beautiful, awesome letter uh, by Paul the Apostle to his protege, uh, Titus. And we're in the third chapter. We're going to be covering verses 1 through 8 today. Um, and this is a blessing. It's a real, real um, deep message filled with so many things. And one of the things that the Lord uh, was showing me is that it's a message of grace. It's a, it's a message of grace. It comes down to grace. Why are we to follow what God calls us to do because of grace? Why are we to have the compassion on people that don't know the Lord because of the grace that we've been shown? And so turn with me, if you can, to uh, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. As you're turning there, probably already there, um, I wanted to read you just a, a short little poem that I read that I wanted to share with you because it's a simple poem, but I just thought, wow, that, there's so much truth in it. It says, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, God, so much for your grace, for your mercy. As we are going to read today, Lord, it is amazing. Uh, Lord, thank you that it's not based on our merit. Thank you that it's not based on our righteousness, for we have none, but it's based on your grace. Bring us back to that simplicity, Lord, of what grace means, of what grace signifies in our heart, Lord. We thank you for your word. We pray God, that you would teach us through it, that you would be the teacher, Lord. And we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love that little poem because it's true, huh? We're, we're, we're walking Bibles in essence. I mean, I'm sure some of you have heard the term that if someone uh, never opens a Bible, they'll be able to tell the gospel simply by looking at you, simply by looking at the life of a Christian. What type of Christian are you? I uh, know we, we usually are pretty good about getting the bumper sticker, getting the shirts, you know, having that little fish emblem on our, on our car. We like to tell people that we're Christians. That's the way we kind of, uh, we, we let the people know, but really how we're letting the people know is by, by our lives. And so we're extensions of the gospel to the world. And as I was reading uh, Titus 3, I just thought to myself, Henry, how, how are you doing? How, how are you doing in the matter of the heart? You know, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a heart check. How's our heart been changed since um, we've had God in our lives? You would think that that would have a drastic change in our lives. Just like the, the world's lifestyle denies God by their lifestyle, uh, the church's lifestyle should be a, a reflection of God's grace, right? And that's the message that I, that I, that I took away from this, this, uh, this passage that we're going to read today. I believe that's the, the, the message that God wants us to take away today, that it's about grace. Come back to grace, the simplicity of grace. Um, as I look around this room, I, I would venture to say that some of you guys are, are growing. You can see it. It's evident. Um, the love of God is deep in you. You are on fire for the Lord. Um, there's compassion in your life. There's love. The, the evidence is there, but I will also bet that there, there's some here that are, that are stuck in the mire uh, of this world. There, 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 there's some here that for some reason haven't caught that vision that we serve a loving, faithful, holy, merciful, patient God. 
Um, some are here probably just out of obligation. You know, somebody dragged you to church, or maybe it was the week that you lived and you're like, I got to get to church to hopefully, you know, balance that week out. Um, some of you who are Christians and you've been walking with the Lord for a while, but it's just getting, you're like in quicksand and it's getting more difficult and more difficult. And I just want to encourage you and welcome you back uh, to what it's all about, uh, to, to the fact that it's about grace. That's why we're here. That's why every one of us here is because of grace. It's good to be in, in the grace of God, guys. It's good to know that God isn't the supreme being who's up there in heaven taking score of all our mess-ups. Instead, he's a God who loves us, who loves me, and he cares for me intimately. And he gives me direction on how I should live my life. He's not a, a cosmic killjoy up in the sky that is directing us and saying, don't do this, don't do that. He loves me, he cares for me. He's saying, Henry, this is going to hurt you. Don't do this. You are my light. I want, I want to use you as a vessel. Do this. Live like this. And sometimes we look at the Bible and we look at it as just a, a book of rules. And, 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 and in essence, sometimes it is. You know, God has given us his word as a letter of how we should live our life as Christians. But we've got to come back to the central message of grace. Why are we doing what we do? That is, it is so important. It's so, so important. Someone once said Christianity is the least concerned about religion of any of the world's faiths. It is primarily concerned about our life. And it really isn't about religion, right? Religious people are concerned with the exterior, with the rules and the regulations. I've dotted my I's, I've crossed my T's, I'm good, I've met my expectations. And then they usually turn around and they ask you, what about you? Where Christianity challenges us to reflect our own heart. Right? It gives us a picture of who Jesus is, what his heart looks like, and this is how are you doing compared to him? Not his, not hers, but your heart. How is my heart compared to Jesus? And that's why we need, as the church, to be constantly reminded. I need to be constantly reminded and instructed in the Word of God for, for God's will in my life. In our passage today, in, in Titus 3, 1 through 8, is chock full of instructions, but it's also full of that message of grace. Why do you do what you do? Why do you come to church? Why do you live this life? It's because of grace. In writing to Titus, Paul gives us a beautiful picture of the will of God for our lives. We see the will of God for us in regards to rulers, and so for that, that would you know, equal a government, government officials. And then in regards to the rest of the people that we encounter, our, our family members that don't know the Lord, our co-workers, this world that we, we live in. Let's read verses 1 through 2. It says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. Verse 2 says, To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. So Paul here continues his appeal to Titus, right? Titus is his protege. He's a young pastor, and Paul is writing to him to encourage him, to remind him, this is your responsibility as a pastor. This is what you're called to do. Remind them. In verses 1 through 2, Paul instructs Titus to shepherd the church on how they should live under more than likely a, a, an unbelieving government, right? A pagan government, an evil government, and an... A, you know, living amongst unbelieving people. How should you react, Christians, to this world? How should you live in this world? We're called to live in the world, but not to be of the world, right? Pastor Manny always mentions we're to be the, wo the boat in the ocean, but just don't let that water get into the boat, because then we got problems. 
Now, why do you suppose that we need to be reminded? Why does, this, why does Paul tell Titus, remind them? Because we're a forgetful bunch, huh? We're a forgetful bunch, and if we're honest, we are also very, very self-absorbed with ourselves. The Greek text here is given in the present tense. That means that Paul is telling Titus, keep reminding them. Keep doing it. Don't stop reminding them. And I think my wife studies Greek because she's always reminding me. (laughs) Don't forget to do this. Don't forget to do that. But the truth is I give her a lot of ammo to do that. And I think we give God a lot of ammo. We give him a lot of ammo because even though he tells us repeatedly, pulpits every single week, it's the same message, but we keep doing the same thing. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. That's one of the reasons why I think Jesus instituted communion, right? You know, we're going to have communion today. We're going to partake of communion. And, and Jesus, when, when he said, take communion, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? Remembrance that I gave my body for you. That I shed my blood for you. Remember that. Don't forget it. You know, we should take communion every day because we forget every day what God has done for us. We get really, really easy into the rut of religion. I'm doing this because I have to. I'm reading my Bible because this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to church because it's kind of what I have to do. I'm serving because, well, I mean, I'm, they need me. And you know what? No. <laughs> the truth is God doesn't need any of us. It's because of grace. We need to come back to that message because if we have that message deep in our heart, then everything changes. It no longer is religion. Now it's a relationship. God needs to constantly remind us he does this through his word, right? We need to be reminded to be in his word daily. That's why Peter, I think in 2 Peter chapter 1, repeatedly mentioned the word remind. He, he spoke on reminding. Let me read it to you. It says, for this reason I will not be negligent, Peter says, to remind you always of the things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Even though you know, I'm going to keep reminding you, he says, Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Again, he says, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder, even of these things after my decease. So Peter is saying, I'm going to make sure that there is guys that are in your ear telling you this stuff, that you keep being reminded. We're sheep, guys. And, and sometimes sheep are, you know, not the smartest, you know, and we need a shepherd to constantly be guiding us. In 1 Timothy 4, 6, Paul tells Timothy, if you instruct the brethren, if in these things you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And that's kind of what pastors are supposed to do. You know, Manny one time said something that really stuck in, in my heart. He says, we are to teach the church how to die. We're to teach each other how to die, how to live, here. But really, the whole process of why we're doing it is so that we could be ready when we die, when that day of salvation is here. Right? Pastors are supposed to teach the church to die of self so that God's light breaks in through our lives, so that God's light is evident to the world. Um, there are so many pastors that, that are teaching, you know, discover yourself. You know, you could be the best that you can be if only you have enough faith while you put in, you know, this amount of dollars in the collection plate. You know, it's not about us, guys. It's about him. It's about his grace, his love. 
That's what, that's what Paul is reminding Titus here. I never want you to stop reminding them. What's the first reminder? To be subject to rulers and authorities to obey. The word subject is the Greek word hupotasso. It's a military word that describes being under someone. The word hupo means under and the word tasso means arrange. If you're serving in the military, if you ever served in the military, you're familiar with being under somebody, right? Having somebody over you. I mean, for that matter, we all have someone over us. If we work, who's over us? Our boss. Ladies, if you're married, the word of God calls you to be under your husband. And so all of us are under somebody. And I mean, you, you might hear someone say, I'm not under anyone but God. I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to you know, be subject to the government, especially this government. You know, we hear so much talk about Obama, and I'm not here to defend Obama, but, you know, the Word of God calls us to be subject to our leaders, to pray for our leaders, to pay our taxes, to stop at the red light, right? You know, can you, can you imagine if we didn't have a government? I mean, there would be chaos, just, I don't know if you ever had the, the, the uh, opportunity to see the news or visit downtown LA when all those people were protesting, sleeping in front of City Hall. It was chaotic. Who wants to live like that? We need government. Even as bad as they are, they're appointed by God. Right? Romans 13 one says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Je- Jesus clearly said, Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God, in Matthew twenty-two twenty-one. And so as much as they, they sometimes get it wrong, and they do, we need to be under some form of government, some form of authority, or else there will be anarchy, right? Um, you think traffic is crazy on a Friday here on Lower Azusa? Can you imagine without traffic lights? Can you imagine without, you know, having someone enforce the laws that we live it would be chaos and we went to cambodia man that's the one thing that stuck out to me is it was just chaotic man there was traffic coming this way this way if there could have been there would have been traffic coming this way and this way it was just bad you know road rage 101 you know there was no one there to enforce it they had you know stoplights but there was never someone there to enforce the laws we need government and that's what paul was reminding titus that you need to be heavenly-minded, but not so much where you stop living here on earth, where you make a difference here on earth. You know, the, 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 the people in Crete, they had a really bad reputation, really, really, really bad reputation. They were renegades. Um, they'd love to buck the system, and they wouldn't bat an eye to lie to you to get something over on you, especially the government. But as Christians, we're not called to be that. We were called to submit. 1 Peter 2.13 says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Submission is an interesting word, guys, because it doesn't focus on personality, um, but on position. We need to see the authority over us, not as acting on their own, but as instruments in the hand of a sovereign God. Because God, according to Romans, appointed them to be there. And so if we see them that way, then, then it's not going to be hard for us to submit because we're submitting unto the Lord. But if not, what's going to happen is we're going to get bitter. We're going to get bitter towards authority. We're going to end up you know, in downtown LA sleeping in tents in front of City Hall. We're going to end up saying, I'm not going to pay my taxes and we're going to have to go visit you in jail and it's going to get messy and so forth. You know? We have to 
not be bitter. We have to submit to God, submit to the government. Now, of course, we need to make sure that, that you know, we stop when the government orders us to sin, right? That is where we draw the line as Christians. A perfect example is found in Acts 5.28, where Peter responded to a command by the Jewish leaders who told them, we want you to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And what was Peter's response? He said, we must obey God rather than men. Other than that, though, Titus, you're to remind the Cretans to submit. You're to remind your church to submit. And through this letter, we're reminded, we're called to submit. Notice it says, be subject to rulers and authorities to obey. And then it says, be ready for every good work. The New American Standard Bible says, be ready for every good deed. The NIV says, be ready for whatever is good. Being subject, submitting, and obeying only can cause a Christian to be passive. And that's not what God wants us to be, is to be passive. Paul says, remind them to be ready you know, when I think of that, I think of like an athlete who gets into a ready position. You don't see an athlete when he's playing, kicking it, right? I mean, he is like on the balls of his feet with his knees bent. He is ready. And that's what we're called to be as Christians. I was talking to a brother who said, man, I'm a predator. And I looked at him like, dude, what are you talking about? He's like, no, what I mean is I come to the church and I'm like looking to see what I can minister, who I can talk to, who I can pray to, who I can listen who I can encourage. That's what we're called to do. Is we're called to have good works. We're called to be looking to see how God can use us. Not coming in here with, with a hand, expecting to receive something, but coming in here saying, I'm ready to give. We're the church. This is, enough. This is a building. I always say a building hidden, tucked away in a shopping center. We are the church. We are the hands. We are the mouth. We are the feet. We are a living organism of, of Jesus, of the church. We are to do what we're called to do. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, for we are his workmanship. Workmanship is a poem. We're God's poem. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were made for good works. That's what we're to do. Now, people get it wrong. They get it twisted when they start doing good works to try to achieve righteousness. The Bible says that apart from God, nobody is good, right? Romans uh, 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we think we can somehow impress God um, by our righteousness, we're, we're, we're kidding ourselves. You know, we, we better read Isaiah 64.6, where it says, And all our righteousness is like a filthy rag. I'm not going to go into the meaning of that, but look it up and, and, and see what it means. It's not something that, you, you know, that you're proud of. It's something that you get rid of. And that's how God looks at our righteousness if we're trying to achieve it by good works. We're going to see later that God has given it to us, that our good works are out of a reaction, an impulse of what he's already given us. We need salvation. No amount of good deeds can make us good people. We must be good, meaning good with God, before we can do any good, right? We know a lot of people that are moral, we know a lot of people that pay their taxes that do the right thing. But if they don't know the, the Lord Jesus Christ, if they haven't received him as his Lord and Savior, they're going to hell just as much as the next wicked person. We didn't make up the rules. God made them up. So we do good works because of, of 
who we have inside of us because we're different. We're to be engaged in good works because that's what we were made for, according to Ephesians 2. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We need to be engaged in good works, but the work must be good, right? Our hearts have to be right or we spoil the soup, so to speak. Um, the other day, my wife, at late at night, okay, I was already in bed, it was a long day, and it was cold, California cold, right? She says, can you go get me something from the car? I'm doing some paperwork and I need to get it. And it was like, oh, man, I was already thinking, oh, she had all day to do this. I'm comfortable, I'm laying in bed. And then she wants me to go out and go to the car at night and go get it for her. So I went up and did it, you know, but all the time I was murmuring. And so what went from a good work turned into just a work, you know, and God doesn't want us to that. He wants us to have the right heart. In verse 2, Paul goes from submitting to government, look, to now all the people the church would encounter. Because notice it says, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Titus, you're to remind the church that they're to speak evil of no one. You would think that that would be a no-brainer, huh? You would think that for Christians, speaking evil of someone would not be in their vocabulary, but the truth is that that's not the case, right? Titus, again, was dealing with a wild bunch. These were people that were just, they were renegades. They had a reputation. And so Titus in 1, 2 writes, you know, he even says, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This is who Titus was dealing with. That's why Paul left Titus there in, in the, in the, in the get-go, right? To set things in order. So it says, speak evil of no one. Speaking evil means to hurt the reputation with a report of words. It's where we get the word blasphemy from. We're given a clear direction here. Speak evil of no one. This refers first to God, of course, but it also includes men, whether they're believers or not. Even those enemies of the cross, even those, those enemies of the Bible, we're not to speak evil of them. I read of a story the other day of a little girl that went into her sixth grade class, and she noticed as she walked in, there was a, on the chalkboard a huge target. And on the teacher's desk, she had a bunch of darts. And so uh, as all the kids came in, the, the, the teacher said, I have an assignment for you today. I want you to draw a picture of someone that you don't like, of someone that has some, done something wrong to you. And, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to put it on the bullseye and we're going to throw darts at it. And so all the little kids were like, yeah, it's on, right? Started drawing pictures. And this little girl drew a picture of, a, of, a, of another little girl that took, you know, a little boy that she liked away, right? So she had the picture, you know, that says that he's just putting pimples on her and everything, you know? <laughs> and so all the kids lined up to throw darts at the pictures that they had drawn. And so they were just throwing them ferociously, boom, 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 at the dartboard. But because of time, the teacher said, okay, we all have to sit down, and the little girl didn't get the opportunity to throw a dart. And so she was sitting like me, murmuring under her breath, and I didn't get a chance to throw my dart. And as she was doing that, the teacher took the picture, and she took the bullseye, and behind that was a picture of Jesus. And, and he was, the, the picture of Jesus was destroyed because of the darts, the, the ferocity of the little kids throwing those darts. His eyes were pierced. And as the teacher walked back to her desk, all she said was the verse found in Matthew 25, 39, where it says, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these brethren, you did it to me. 
We can't speak evil of anyone because Jesus loves them, right? Jesus loves them. We're to tell them the truth. We're to lovingly lead them to Christ, but we can't speak evil of them. The psalmist's prayer in Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Paul tells Titus, tell them not to speak evil, but instead be peaceable. The word peaceable speaks of someone who's not a brawler. That's the actual word, someone that is not a brawler. It means one who is reluctant to fight, who's not always looking for a fight, especially a verbal nature. I was telling uh, the first service that back in my BC days, I remember going out with guys, and there was always one guy that was a troublemaker wherever we went. He started fights. You know, we would kind of like distance ourselves from him, and we would see him across the room, and he'd be like, and we knew what he wanted. You know, like no, 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 and he'd be like, and surely enough, he had started trouble with someone. Proverbs nineteen nineteen says, "A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you rescue him, you have to do it again." We have to be peaceable people. The Weiss translation uh, says it describes a person here that does not go about with a chip on his shoulder. And so in giving the qualifications of an elder, uh, Paul said to Timothy, you have to make sure that you pick someone not given to wine, someone not violent, someone not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. The opposite of peaceable is someone who wants to argue, right? For the sake of arguing. We are in a situation right now where we're doing a Bible study uh, on Saturdays, and there was a, an issue that came up because there's people from all different denominations that go to this Bible study. And an issue came up of, of, of what a certain religion believes about communion. And so, you know, uh, um, Brother Abel and I were there and we're just like, we don't, we don't believe that to be true. The scripture doesn't point to that. And this individual just wanted to sit there and debate and argue. And they've even taken a vote to have two weeks that we take outside of the Bible study just to debate that issue. I ain't going. Let them have their debate by themselves. It says right here in verse 9, avoid foolish disputes, Right? We're to avoid people like that. If you have people that want to argue with them, you just tell them, you know what, one day in heaven, we'll find out who's, who's right. Maybe I might be wrong. It's a perfect way to not deal with someone that, that, that is not peaceable. The word gentle here speaks of someone who has tolerance. These, uh, these attributes we know, right, um, are only possible in the man and the woman who's controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's against our nature. It's against our flesh when someone does something not to do something back. I mean, that's our reaction, to do something back. But the individual that is controlled by the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.16 says that they walk in the Spirit, that they don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Philippians 4.5 says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. We're to be gentle. And then look, lastly, it says we're to show all humility to all men. Being humble is not thinking of yourself uh, as important. And some have even described it as not thinking of yourself at all. Colossians 3.12 tells us, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Notice the emphasis again on all men. It doesn't matter who they're dealing with, right? Paul is saying, I want you to display these attributes to everyone. Why? Because as the church, we're to be a light. We're to be the salt. We should be the reflection of Jesus Christ. People should see us and see a difference in us, not like the rest of the world. And so he says, do this to all men. So here in verses 1 through 2, it shows us the will of God dealing with the pagan government and, and with people that are unbelievers, how we should react to that. And now in verse 3, it shows us the work of God. 
through our own godlessness. And this is where the message of grace comes in. Because look what it says in verse 3. For we ourselves were once also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And I was thinking, when I read that, you could put a picture of me right there, and that would be the definition, because that's who I was and more apart from the Lord. Those are some of the tendencies that I, in the flesh, still deal with. And I would venture to say you probably still deal with. But we've been saved from this. We've been, we've been made new from all this. And, and so Paul is telling Titus, when you're dealing with these people, remember yourself. Take a step back. Remember where you came from. Don't forget the neighborhood, in essence, right? You know, remember where you, get, where you came from. A good way to guard our heart against legalism or the other end of the spectrum, indifference, is to remember where we came from. Paul says, submit to authorities. Be ready to do good works. Don't speak evil. Be peaceable. Be gentle. Be humble. Why? Because of the grace of God, right? I mean, we get a couple of reasons here. Number one is out of appreciation for what God has done for us. That's why we serve. That's why we live according to the word of God, because of what God has done for us. Romans 5 eight, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're having a problem believing that this applies to you, that means that we really truly haven't captured the, the truth of the gospel, that we all fall short, that we all need grace, that we don't want justice, because if, if we want justice, oh boy, we're in trouble. We want grace and mercy. Ephesians 2.2 reminds us, right? He says, in once, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil, the spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience. You were there. Paul is telling the Ephesian church, none of us want justice. I hope you don't. Because if we got justice, we would be in trouble. We need to ask for grace, and we need to ask for more grace, and then we need to ask for God's mercy. Our response to, 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 to why we do what we do should always be because of your grace. I follow you because of your grace. I go to church to learn more of your grace. I live for you because of your grace. Not out of obligation, not out of religion, not out of it's because I need to do this. It's because of God's grace. The second reason why, why I think this, this helps us is because it helps us to have compassion for those that don't know the Lord, right? We're to have compassion for them. They don't know the Lord. What do we expect them to act like? We've got to remember where we were. You know, when you're on the outside looking in, you can see things a lot clearly. But when you're in the mire, when you're in the mud, you don't realize where you're in. And so when we look at this, if you're a Christian, you can identify, wow, that was me, plus more. But, but through the grace of God, he saved me. And now when I look at my, my, my family member who doesn't know the Lord, my coworker, my neighbor, now I can have compassion. And I could also have hope because if God saved me, he could save them. And so it's about grace. We need to remember that we were once there, that if it wasn't for the grace of God, there would go Henry. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Who is the grace of God? It is Jesus Christ, right? That is why we do the things that we do. This truth should give us hope. Hope that God saved us. Hope that he's still doing the work of salvation. 
Why? Because of the grace that God describes here in verses 4 through 7. Look what it says. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's amazing. You know, Paul says, Titus, instruct the church to do this. But then, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that it's but the grace of God. I love that word, but, in the Bible, B-U-T. Usually when you think of the word, but, it's not good, huh? You did very good in your interview. Excellent. Very good qualifications, but. Not a good thing, right? But when we see the word B-U-T in the Bible, Man, it, it, is a, it is a display of God's grace. Henry, you were headed to hell, but the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, but God, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Here Paul says you were once lost, you were once hopeless on the way to hell, but the kindness... And love of God our Savior appeared. Appeared, that's a cool word, because it's the word in the Greek that is, is epiphano, which means epiphany, which is what we get when we have the appearances of Christ. It's an epiphany. It means to show or upon, to bring to light. I love Luke 179 because it's to give light. Jesus came to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. God is our light. And it's so cool to know that it's not by anything that we did. Remember what our, what our works are, our righteousness are. They're but a filthy rag to God. But it's, it's based on grace. Thank God that it's based on grace. Thank God that we have mercy. You know, in the back of our shirts, it says we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That is a paraphrase of Ephesians 2.8, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any of you should boast, lest anyone should boast. I mean, if it was something that we did, we would take credit. We would snap our collar and say, hey, well, this is my payment. But it's grace, and that is why we are to react in obedience. That is why we are to live by the word of God as best as we can with the help of God in our lives, in our heart, with his spirit permeated inside of us, leading us and where we need to go because of grace. Grace is something we receive that we didn't deserve. You guys know that, right? You know, we, we didn't deserve to receive forgiveness, but he gave it to us. We didn't deserve to receive heaven, but he's given us the promise of heaven to us one day. We didn't deserve a clean slate, but he's given us. We didn't deserve a new mind, but he's given us that in Christ. Mercy, on the other hand, is getting something... That not getting something we did deserve, right? And so we deserved hell. We deserved judgment. We deserved alienation from God. But he hasn't given it to us. And so based on that is what our reaction should come from. He saved us, it says here, through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Some might say that this is, taking, uh, this is, this is talking about baptism, that we're saved by baptism. They argue that baptism saves us, but I would tell you, don't believe them. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. 
Um, it's not based on baptism. It's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happens when you come to the Lord. We're all baptized by the Holy Spirit when that happens. That is how we're regenerated. That is how we're washed. That is how we're cleansed. Baptism is simply telling people what you already have inside. I was talking to a brother earlier, and he says, I can't wait to get baptized. Why? Because he's saved already. It's, it's, it's an outward expression of the reality of, of our heart, of what we have inside. I love verse 6, because God is so generous. Don't tell anyone, but during our Christmas ministry dinner, my wife and I were in charge of giving away the meat when the plates came around. And, and we looked at the meat and we're like, man, there's too many people here. We're not going to have enough. So we kind of were a little stingy. If that was you, forgive us. Okay? Gave one piece. Move along. <laughs> but, you know, eventually God worked it out. We had doubles. We had triples, right? It was cool. The reason why I bring that up is that God is not stingy. God, says, pours out his spirit, pours out his spirit to us abundantly. Never are we going to have the excuse that I called on God, but he ran out. Never are we going to be able to say, well, God didn't have enough for me. No, it tells us here that he has given his spirit to us abundantly. He's poured it out. We don't have an excuse. We have his spirit, and the spirit should guide us. The spiritual washing we receive cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We are justified, which means justice if we never sinned. doesn't mean we didn't commit the sins. It means through the grace of God, he's made us clean like we've never sinned. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the show American Restoration. Any of you ever seen that show? It's a show where they take things, these beautiful things that are all beat up, and they polish them, they take them apart, they wash them, they re-chrome them, they do everything. And when they're done, it is beautiful. Spanking you. Well, that's what God does with us through this process. That's why we're to respond to grace with our lives with obedience. We're to remember where we came from so that when we're dealing with someone that is not saved, we can have compassion. That's what Paul is calling Titus to do. It's only by the grace of God that we can do this. So we close Paul's statement that everything he just wrote was a faithful saying. That's what he says here in verse 8. Look, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good, Paul says, and profitable to men. He says, let me remind you of what God has done, where he saved you from. The sheer magnitude of grace and mercy should overwhelm us I know that times get tough. I, I know that. But God's love should eclipse all those things. There's a song by David Crowder, and he says that. And that, 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 should, that should be our reality. Paul says these things are profitable for men, for all men. You know, if we live a life in spite of the circumstances that we're dealing with, in spite of the challenges that life throws at us, but we remain faithful, we remain hopeful, that is going to speak so much to the world because they're looking at us. I've always believed that those that know we're Christians, half of them are looking at us hoping that, 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 that we have victory in our walk because it gives them that hope like I have hope. And then the other half of them are like, I can't wait for that person to fail so that I can have an excuse to live a life that I want to live so that my conscience doesn't burn. They're watching they're watching, and if, if we react 
with those challenges of life that we all have through grace, through obedience, through love, through compassion, then love is what's going to win the world over. Jesus says they will know that you are mine by the way you love each other. And that's the message that, 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 that I feel came through here. It's Titus reminding, it's, it's being reminded of how you're to teach. Be faithful to the word of God. Teach them not to do evil. Teach them to be different. Teach them to be gentle. But while you're teaching them, remember where you once came from. Remember that it's but by the grace of God that you're here. If we do that, then more than likely we're not going to be a religious bunch, which is what the world hates in all essence. They, they think we're religious when in reality we're just sinners, beggars, pointing other beggars to the bread line. That's what our hearts should be like. That's what our lives should represent. Love, grace. Why do we do the things we do? Because of what God has done for us. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.